we exist to come alongside people who are hurting, who are broken, who are messed up, to come alongside them and give them love and to give them grace and to give them encouragement until they can rise above it and walk on that path on their own. We are Pathway Church, located in Burleson, Texas. We worship together, we serve together, and we grow together. Hey, I want to speak to our online group. First of all, thank you so much for joining us in worship. I know this COVID thing has kind of hit a lot of us in our church really, really bad right now. And I want you to know we're praying for you. We're encouraging you. You know, just get well, recover as quickly as you can. And I know we have a lot of our folks who are just kind of struggling with some health issues in many areas of their life. And a lot of folks have experienced death in the past few days, and you're still recovering. And uh, those down True Worth and those that join us from all, all over the world, I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. And um, even though we're not together, you know, physically, geographically, we are together in spirit because God's spirit can do that. And I just want to say a special welcome to you. And those that are in the house right here, uh, thank you so much for venturing out in the cold weather this morning and hope you're experiencing God's presence already. And if you're new... Uh, you're brand new here. You're in the house. Would please stop by the, the connection point. We'd love to give you a gift. We'd just like to say thank you for coming. Uh, I'd like to exchange names, get to know you, you get to know us, and, and myself and other pastors will be out uh, in the crossing afterwards. My name is Rick. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and we'd just love to meet you and connect with you and, and say thanks for coming. So if you have your Bibles, you can kind of get them squared away, whether you're using your hard copy notes or, or notes there uh, in your app, you can go there as well. And as you're getting situated, I will share with everyone that next week, weekend and the weekend after that, uh, if you are married and you have interest in kind of something to supercharge your marriage, we're going to introduce you to something called Re-Engage. Uh, Re-Engage is a marriage ministry. We've had it around here now for almost a year. We had our first fall session last fall that was just really um, unbelievable. And, and Re-Engage is for any married couple, wherever you are in, in the spectrum. It's for those that are strong, uh, for those that are kind of stagnant, and for those that need resurrection. In fact, Re-Engage is for those who want to re-engage in their marriage who want to kind of reignite it, or for those who need a resurrection experience in their marriage. And I will tell you, just kind of high, it's a high-level commitment. It's 16 weeks, and it's right in the middle, guys, of the NFL football season, and they meet from 4.30 to 6.30. You'll really find out how much you love your marriage, I'm just saying, okay? And it's very Christ-centered. And it's not marriage counseling. I will tell you, it is better than marriage counseling. And all marriages need counsel. All marriages do. So next week, you're going to hear more about that. And next two weeks, if you're out on the, on the crossing, you'll have a chance uh, to register and sign up even and ask questions about it. And you'll be able to do the same thing online. Online, we'll have opportunity for you to connect in that way as well. So let's begin in prayer. Hello, God, we are here to be in your presence, to be with you, and to re-engage with you. God, because if we're honest, some of us in this past week, we have disengaged. Uh, we've got so caught up in the business of life and all the responsibilities and the worries of this world that we have disengaged, not just from you, God, but from practicing what we have learned so far about loving people. And so we come here to be supercharged, to be reignited, to be resurrected, to, to become out of the grave once again, God, to experience your resurrection in the relationships of our lives that mean the most. And so we ask for you to speak to heal, to touch, to do what only you can do as we open up your word. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Now, we're in the third week of a message series we're calling Love Languages. And we're kind of going through a book by the same name, written by a man by the name of Gary Chapman. 
And the core idea of this book is this, that I am not to assume that you experience love the same way that I do. And that not only do I need to learn about myself, how I receive and experience love, I need to learn how you receive and experience love so I can get better at loving you, regardless of the relationship. And we've learned there are five of these love languages. Uh, the first one is words of affirmation. The second one is quality time. Today, it's, it's giving of gifts. Fourth one is acts of service. And the fifth one is physical touch. And I want to emphasize, this is not just about marriages. This is not just about a dating relationship. This past week, I, ho- I heard from and spoke to some parents who had their children do the assessment. And having their kids doing the assessment, they learned more about their kids and understood why there was a disconnect. And it, it actually has altered their parenting and how they interact with their child. So this is just about relationships, whether it's friend, you're a boss and you have peers, uh, you, uh, it's, it's for your relationships in all walks of your life. Now, if there's one love language that I think most touches the heart of God, that God just, it's this one right here. This is the one that Jesus taught and embodied in so much of his own life. And there's one Bible verse that anybody that's the most famous verse in the Bible to kind of reemphasize this gift. And if you're here this morning, you've probably heard of this verse, even if you don't believe in Jesus. And let me say, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're welcome here. You're online. You're in the house. You're welcome here. And you're here to kind of figure out who Jesus is and kind of where you stand in that. But I believe that even if you have... Don't believe in Jesus. You've heard this verse. It's the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God loved, so God gave. That's what love does. Love just naturally gives. And the gift does not have to be expensive. It does not have to cost a whole lot. This past summer, during my summer break, I found a treasure trove in our house and reorganized. You know when you have some time off, you kind of clean stuff up and get stuff organized. And I found a treasure trove of stuff that my kids made when they were small that my wife has saved almost everything they'd ever made. And particularly, I found some stuff from our youngest son, James. And I found these, all these little things that they had made. And one of them, I think he probably made here at church uh, for Father's Day. And where it had all these scribble marks, all the construction paper, and things glued to it. Just almost kind of falling apart. I had to be careful. It just almost falling apart. It was so old. And it had on their dad, you're my hero. Love, James. Now, does anybody think that I would take $10,000 for that gift? Do you think that I would? Oh, I would. I'd sell it right now for $10,000. If there's somebody right here that wants facts, I'll invite you over to my house and I'll, I'll sell it to you for $10,000. Because James is, is moving back to town, he and his wife Corinne and their baby-to-be, he made me another one. It'd probably be even better, okay? So I, I can replace that thing. But here's what's irreplaceable. Here's what is priceless. It's not the piece of paper. It's the message on the paper because that's the gift. And the gift is dead. You're my hero. I love you. That's priceless. No amount of money for that. When Dallas and I got married, we, we had very little money, and that's true of most couples when they get married. And when you get engaged and you're young and you have to exchange a little thing called a ring, right? You give an engagement ring. And the ring, the, the purpose of the ring, it, it's just it's, it's, it's saying a message. It's not about the cost of the ring. It's not how much money you spend on the ring. The ring is a gift that just kind of says, you're important to me. I value you. I think about you even when you're not around. 
And I know this is true because the ring that I bought Dallas, the diamond was so small you couldn't even see it. And when it fell out, you didn't know it was missing. Because it's not about the size of the gift. It's not about the cost of the gift. It's about the meaning and the depth of what the gift really represents. Now, in, in all of human history, if there's one person that defines and understands and turned the world upside down, this idea of the giving of gifts, and who taught it and practiced it in the most perfect way, his name is Jesus. And I want to take you on a little journey here this morning before I get and do some personal application for you to help you kind of understand the history of the world in which you and I live and this concept of giving and gratitude for the gift that you have received and how it connects to agape love, the love that Jesus taught and that Jesus gave as a gift and he practiced well. There's a little book called Gratitude, an Intellectual History by Peter Leinhardt. And if you're somebody who wants to go deeper on this subject, to really kind of be challenged intellectually on this idea of agape love and giving of gifts and gratitude, I'd encourage you to consider uh, checking out this book. Now, in the ancient world, we're going to talk about the ancient world here. I'm going to give you some little background stuff. In the ancient world... The anthropologists have studied this very important, and giving in the ancient world perhaps was more important in their day than in our day. Because in the ancient world, they did not have a market economy with supply and demand and a stock market and, and, and brick-and-mortar stores or online stuff or exchange like you and I do. Their economy was mainly driven by a gift sort of mentality. The giving of gifts. And here's how it worked. In your notes, number one, gifts were not free. When you receive a gift, it's really not something that is free. It's embedded into the system of strings that are attached. In the ancient world, somebody would give a gift to someone, and the person who had the most money could give the most expensive gift to someone, and that person was obligated, obligated to reciprocate. Now, if I'm the person who's the receiver of the gift and I don't have much, I am obligated to repay back through serving, through labor, through working, through doing things around their house. Now, in your notes, this is called the circle of reciprocity, which means the gift received, the person who received the gift is obligated to show gratitude. In the Roman culture, there was someone they called a patron. Say patron. A patron is someone who has the means to give gifts to other people so they will do things for them. And the person who gives the gifts is obligated to, the person is obligated to receive gratitude back to them. And gratitude for a gift does not mean say, I thank, say thank you. It does not mean some emotional something on the inside. Man, I'm really moved. I am touched by the gift. That's not what it means at all. In fact, right there, I will tell you that the word gratitude, the word gratitude in Latin is the word obsequium, obsequium, which literally means a fawning over, a servile submission to somebody else. So in your notes, number three, gratitude really means in this day, paying off a debt. I am indebted to you for the gift that you gave me for this. And so I have to have a debt paid back to you. And so here's what you would do. If I'm indebted to you because you've been gifted to me and I got to express gratitude, I would show up at your house, my patron, 
with a bunch of other people who had been gifted, and we were, as your clients, we would just do stuff for you. And one of the things we would do for you is become your entourage. This is where we get the word entourage in our society. And an entourage is a group of people who follow your patron around wherever he goes. Wherever he goes. And he goes to the Roman Forum. He gives a speech. You clap and you applaud and you bless him. And you, you cheer to fill his ego, to pump him up. That's your gratitude to make him feel good about himself. You address him with words like this. Dominus, which means sir. Rex, which means king. Uh, Patar, which means father. Now, in this system... There were people called benefactors. Number four in your notes, benefactors intentionally gave large gifts to impose large debts. Because the more I, imp- I gave you a gift that put a debt upon you, it increases my honor, it increases my power, it increases my status because you can't equal the gift back to me. Lightheart puts it this way right here about this concept of doing this. A patron expected his clients to form an entourage, blow trumpets, shout his praises as the patrons passed through the streets of Rome. So as your patron went through a little parade, you're cheering to everybody know to make him feel the biggest and the best about himself. It was very, very competitive. Now, in your notes, number five, one of the most critical things to understand, in the ancient world, gifts were exercises in power. Gifts were about power. People gave people gifts to have power over somebody else. Anybody heard of white elephant gift? Yeah, you've been a part of giving, white elephant, received a white elephant gift. Do you know the history and the story of the white elephant, the white elephant gift? There are many, many stories, but the main one where this comes from, the king of Siam. King of Siam was extremely, extremely wealthy. And he was known for being famous for giving away these white elephants, which were very rare, very, very expensive, and almost having a sacred, spiritual, iconic connection to the, to, to the white elephant. And so he would give a white elephant to someone who fell out of his favor, who did not pay him back properly. So he would give this white elephant to someone that he was mad at, that he, that he got crosshair because they did not show gratitude properly. And when they received this gift, you couldn't give it to anybody else because it'd be a disrespect to the king. You couldn't sell it to anybody because nobody else could afford it. It was so rare. Everybody would know where the white elephant came from. Do you know how much it cost to maintain a white elephant, any kind of elephant, much less these sort of elephants? The cost is enormous. So they would give these white elephants as a strategic way of giving to someone to make them go bankrupt. It was about power to take someone down who had bothered you or offended you in that way. So much so that Aristotle writes this during his daytime. Aristotle writes, work real hard, avoid receiving anything. (laughs) Because a man of a deep soul and deep character, you don't want to owe anyone that debt. So you work hard not to be that recipient. The motto in Latin in that day was duet des, which means I give to you so you will give back to me. God of Jupiter, 
God of Zeus, God of Baal, I give to you so that you will bring rain on my crops. Translate into the human arena. I'm going to give to you so you will give to me. And you as a person were responsible for expressing gratitude. In the ancient system, they said, yes, you should be grateful. Be grateful to your benefactor for all the benefits he has done for you, for all the gifts he has given you. And you should try to get as much as you can. Get more with everything that has been given to you. Now, this system in the ancient world, it corrupted the rich and oppressed the poor and made everybody a very selfish, selfish person. Because you give to get more. And then Jesus shows up. And when Jesus shows up, he turns his whole system upside down. And he changes the who. The who you're indebted to. The who you express gratitude to because of the gifts that you receive. And he's saying now, we only have one benefactor. You're not ever, ever, ever dependent upon another human being The only person, the only being you are dependent upon is God, who is your heavenly Father. Period. Now, I want to do a little contrast between this agape love and the ancient agape, how agape love gives and how the ancient world gives. And unfortunately, many of us are stuck in ancient world giving instead of agape love giving. Here's in the ancient world giving, ancient system. Human beings give selectively out of self-interest. Agape love gives to everybody with no strings attached. Hey, Jupiter, hey, Zeus, hey, Baal, I give this to you so that you will do this for me. That's even why I give these offerings of worship and sacrifice to you, so you'll do this. And Jesus shows up. He says, no, 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 no. That's not what love does. Agape love just gives with no strings attached because that's what God does. Over here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 45, the scripture reads this. God, he, God, causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Jesus is changing this whole way of thinking that God just doesn't give to those who are good, who give back to him. God is generous and kind and gives his gifts to everybody. And the scriptures bear this to be true. The scripture just said he sends the rain on the good and the bad, on the just and the unjust. He clothes the, the lilies of the field. You don't, they don't have to worry about where do their clothes come. He just, he just gives it to them. He forms and he shapes the mountains. And, and he forms it and takes care of them. It says he takes the little sparrows, right? And he provides food even for the sparrows. And the scripture says he knows so much about you. He has counted every little hair on the top of your head, except for Chris Bohan, because he has no hair, okay? okay. Uh, there's no hair. Say, but, but, but God is like that. He is just so generous in everything that he gives to you and me. Every, your heartbeat, right? Just put your, put, put your hand right here. Feel, feel, feel the breath. 
Feel the heart. That's a gift. That's a gift. That's another gift. That comes straight from God himself. Over here in Colossians chapter 3, the scriptures are peppered with these kind of statements uh, throughout the entire thing. Colossians chapter 3, he says this, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all. Do everything in your life. Do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks, not to your benefactor, but to God, the Father, through him. Church, this is not just about getting you and me to have an attitude of gratitude. This is not trying to stir up some, some personality, feeling, emotion of joy. This, he, he is trying to subvert an entire system that was just tearing a society apart. That's what the scriptures are doing, this concept of giving and thanks. And he's leveling the playing field where everybody is the same. Nobody's up here and nobody else is down here. We all have equal value and equal worth. And we all can give generously, not the same size, but it's equal sacrifice. And God receives it and God loves it. Over here in Matthew chapter 25, he's saying we got a new system. Uh, No, excuse me. Go back here to uh, chapter 6, verse 2 of Matthew 6. He says, um, whatever you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and on the streets to be honored by others. Why is he saying don't, don't, don't use trumpets? Because many of them did. Hey, I just did something good. Here comes the guy who gave something great, and they would announce with big old trumpets. He's saying, don't do that at all. Over here in Matthew chapter 20, uh, verse 25, he says, Jesus called them together and said, you know, the rulers of the Gentiles, that is their benefactors, lord it over them. And they lord it over their high officials. They exercise authority, but not you. Verse 26, not you. You're not going to do that. We opt out for a different system. If you want to become great, you must become someone's servant. He's turning the whole thing upside down. Over here in Matthew chapter 23, verse 9, he says, do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father and he is in heaven. Hey, listen, kids, is Jesus saying, don't call your dad, dad. No, that's not what he's saying at all. Thank you very much. That's not what he's saying. He is saying we all have one father. We're all brothers and sisters, not some are up here and some down here. God loves all of us in the same way, every single one. We have one father in heaven. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. In your notes, number two, here's here's another concept. A system, the ancient system, gives to people who can give back to you. But agape love, it gives to people even when it's not to your financial advantage. You give to people even, Jesus says, even when they can't give back to you. Over here in Luke chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus teaches, When you give a luncheon, you give a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, your sisters, your relatives, your rich neighbors, if you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Now, i got to ask you, is Jesus saying, it is a sin to invite your family over for a dinner? That's exactly what he's saying. 
Yes, it is. Some of you are going, praise God. I've been looking for that verse in the Bible. That's why you came. That is why you came to worship today. Are you logged online? I've been trying to find a way to get it out, to not ever invite that family over to my house again. Right? No, that's not what it's saying. It's not saying at all. In fact, I would encourage you, every once in a while, maybe do invite your family over to dinner. But here's what he's saying. Don't invite them over just for the expectation they're going to invite you back. And if they don't invite you back, don't stop inviting them. Don't make this circle of reciprocity. They did it for you. You did it for them. Now they got to return. But he's saying something even deeper. He's saying that somehow, somehow, when you give to the poor, when you give to someone who can't give back to you, You're given to God. That's why Jesus teaches over in the gospel, a great story over there in Matthew. He said, whenever you've done it for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you have done it. Whenever you've given it and done it to them, you've done it unto me. Here's the third little thing. Ancient system and self-interest you have received. And self-interest you freely give. That's the ancient system in self-interest. But agape love, freely you have received and freely you give. No strings attached. It's a humble lay of field. We're all the same. Not somebody up here. Not somebody down here. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ. We all, we all have something to give. We all have to be generous to God as a concrete expression of our gratitude to God, who is the giver of every single perfect gift that we have in our life. In fact, James puts it this way over here in James chapter 1, verse 16. He says, do not be deceived. Why did he say don't be deceived? Because some were. My brothers and sisters, every good and perfect gift is not from your benefactor. It is from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. I mean, he's not waffling this way for his own personal self-interest. And then he levels the playing field even more down here in chapter 2, verse 1, when he talks about the poor and the wealthy. And he says, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Just to those who can give back more to you with no expectation. And then over here in Romans chapter 13, the Apostle Paul writes to this little church in Rome. Can you believe that? This is a Roman system. He writes a letter to people who are Christians in Rome, and he says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the debt to love. And the Apostle Paul there is not giving money management tips. He is not saying, do not ever take out a loan ever again. He is saying, I am rejecting the old system that puts some people up here and makes some people down here who all they can do is receive. The old system that impresses and enslaves and humiliates and embarrasses people because they have nothing of measure to give back. And I'm embracing the way of Jesus. I'm embracing agape love 
that is always giving to other people, working for the good and the will of everything good in their life with no expectation of anything in return. Whoa. You talk about radicalizing what it means to give somebody a gift. In the Roman world, it put them on tilt. And they started accusing the Christians of being ungrateful for everything the Roman Empire had done for them. Some of so, you read this story uh, in history about, about the emperor uh, uh, Diocletian who found out about one of his favorite in his entourage named Sebastian become a Christian. And Diocletian found out Sebastian had become a Christian. And he gets really upset with him. Because he stopped worshiping his gods and coming around and paying homage to him. And he said, Sebastian, I made you. I gave you rank in my palace. You are nobody. I gave everything that you have, and you owe me. You owe debt to me. You owe debt of gratitude to puff me up, to build up my ego, to worship my gods, to help me make more money. Because I put you in that position. I deserve better from you. So much so, he lined him up, shot him full of arrows until everyone could see that he had dead because he did not pay back. These Christians were so bold and so brave. Because they went as far to express gratitude, not just to human beings, but to express gratitude to God and so much to be generous to the poor. I want to make sure you get this. I want to be as unchurchy as I can, and I'm sure somebody will be offended, but I'm willing to do it to make sure somebody gets it. Some of you think this concept of agape love, you still think it's some syrupy little soft, little wimpy, little sentimental, little romantic, little Jesus thing. And if that's what you think agape love is, and real love really is, you don't know Jesus, and you don't know agape love. Because agape love has embedded with this deep substance, the very essence of Jesus, his life, He is agape love. And it was on the cross when he suffered. Like nobody here who can hear my voice right now could endure. Suffered. And he could have come down. He willingly gave his life. That's agape love. And then Jesus builds this little community to test, to test the strength of agape love. I'm going to build this little thing called the church. And this is going to test the strength of agape love. And this little community, they had no resources. They had no power. They had no wealth. And they're pitted against the great Roman Empire who had unlimited power, unlimited resources, and unlimited wealth. And that little agape love little community kicked the Romans' butts. And eventually, that kingdom fell. That is agape love. I want to pause here for a minute. 
and I have to ask online in the house. Have you really received the gift of Jesus and that kind of love in your life that has that sort of grit, that has that sort of sticking power, that sort of just, uh, do you have that? Have you accepted that in your life? Have you received that gift? Are you living in that gift? Are you rooted living your life out of that gift? Or is it just kind of something just periodically you kind of play around with? Anybody here received a gift card as a gift? A gift card as a gift? Gift, card. gift cards are really popular, right? You get a gift card. It's kind of a cool thing. Did you know that most of the time gift card, most gift cards are lost before they're ever used? They turn up in a drawer two, three years later. Anybody have any idea how, how many gift cards there are right now in the United States of America that are unused? If you think you have an idea of the value, just, turn to the, just have a little fun. Turn to the person next to you and say, I think there's this. What, what, dollar, what dollar amount of unused gift cards do you think are just kind of floating around right now? Here's the actual number, $15 billion. In the finance industry, they call those unredeemed. Our God is in the redeeming business. And you are not beyond being redeemed. He has paid the price. He has given so you might be redeemed. Have you received it? Or is he just sitting around in a drawer? You got it in your purse somewhere. You got it up in a cabinet somewhere. Or have you activated the gift card that he has given you? God wants to forgive you. Through a man named Jesus, his son, who died upon the cross. He was raised from the dead, and that stone was moved. He wants to give you new life. He wants to give you a new start, a do-over, a mulligan. He wants to give you the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, to live your life with power, to guide you and to give you direction. He wants to give you the love of brothers and sisters in a community of a place called the church who will come to know you, who you are, and just love you the way you are, but help you grow into who Christ sees you to be. He wants to give you spiritual gifts to help you discover the purpose in your life and to give you energy to sustain you, to give your life a direction. But you have to receive the gift. So have you? It's not that difficult. Yep, Lord, that's me. I'm the one who's disengaged. I'm the one who thinks it's all about me. I'm the one who's pretty selfish. I'm the one who gives, hoping somebody's going to give back to me. That's me. I'm the one who gives with expectations. I'm the one who, I, I, I'm the one. I'm, I'm the sinner, God. I'm, I'm the one. I'm, I'm that one. And I would like to receive the gift of your forgiveness, your power, your agape love, your strength. It's just. And then when you receive that, then you become a part of a community like this. It's called the church. 
And this becomes your little family. This church becomes your family. And all of a sudden, you just learn how to love because that's what Jesus said in John chapter 13. He says, hey, guys, a new command I give you. This is it. A new command I love. This is how people, this is how people are going to know. This is how they're going to know you're my disciples. In your marriages, hey, listen, this is how they're going to know you're married and you're a disciple of Jesus. In your parenting, in your work life, this is how they're going to know. Let me ask you. Do they know by the hell you do they know? Do they know by how they look at you? Do they know? Do they know? Can they tell? It's incredible. And I will tell you, if you will, if you will receive this Jesus into your life, I mean, really be rooted in Jesus, rooted, 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 rooted in Jesus, there's a little switch in your heart that can go from reluctant giver to a joy-filled, cheerful giver as you give of yourself to another person. I'm watching the time. I'm good. I can do this. Let's say, let's, let's say, let's say you're the pastor of Pathway Church. You're it. You're the pastor of Pathway Church. And let's say you're married. And let's say that you and your spouse, you are house-sitting uh, one of the dogs for one of your kids because they're gone somewhere, so they bring the, dog, they bring the grand dog to your house. And so right before you're about to get up here and speak in worship, your spouse kind of leans over to you and says, hey, listen, I'm going to be out of pocket this afternoon. Will you walk the dog? And your first thought is, no, I'm not going to walk the dog. And you no. And then you start thinking, hold it here. I'm getting ready to get up here and do something very important. I mean, this timing is terrible. I'm getting ready to come talk to this group of people about agape love, how agape love is not selfish, how agape love is sacrificial. And that's a very important job. And I can't get up. No, no, I will not walk the dog. I got more important things to do. I'm not going to walk the dog for you. And besides that, I got to go see my parents after a while tonight. And I love my parents. My parents are very important. I've got to go see them. And there's a guy in the church. He has some big issues. And he invited me over to his house this afternoon. And I know it's during the NFL game, but it's really not about that. It's that he's got big burdens. He's got big problems. He's got big things. Now, he does have a big screen TV. And we might look at it a little bit. I mean, it's bigger than mine. You know, and everything. But no, I'm not going to walk. I can't walk the dog. The dog will just walk itself. It should. I'm going to tell you a little secret what the scriptures have to say. Over here in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, uh, the apostle Paul, he, he puts it this way. L- listen to this word. He says, each of you should give what you have decided in, your, decided in your heart, in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. In your notes, I'll give you a little secret, a little tip. Here's a little tip application. Everybody loves a cheerful giver, not just God. Not just God. Everybody does. Everybody loves a cheerful giver. Everybody. Okay, honey. Okay. I'll walk the dog. Only because I can't think of a good way out of it. But I'm going to tell you in such a way. I'm going to tell you in such a way that I really don't want to, so you won't ever ask me again. I'll walk the dog. You may know what I'm talking about. Oh, I'll do it, but it just would have taken five minutes to walk the dog. A gift of five minutes. And it would have communicated love because love gives. Love gives. And love wins. Love bonds people. Giving, giving bonds people. Giving is the best way to live. Giving, that's what giving does. Giving of yourself, giving of your time, giving that little gift. 
And everybody loves a cheerful giver. Not reluctant. Let that little... Remember I told you that, that Dallas uh, and that little diamond, her little, that, little, that little bitty ring off that was so, so small when it fell out you couldn't even see it was missing? Well, I decided I needed to replace it, but there's no way that I could because when Dallas and I first started out, out we, were, we were dirt, dirt poor. And my wife, my wife is a controller. She's a controller of her company, and she's a controller of Owen Incorporated. That means she knows where every penny comes from and where every penny is going. That means I never, ever can gift her ever, and it'd be a surprise because she knows where every penny came from. and every. So years ago, I decided I've got to replace that little diamond. I've got to do something about that. But how can I do it and surprise her? How can I gift her in this way? So when you do well, Sometimes people give you a little gift. And so I did a wedding and they gave me a little gift. And I come home and she asked me, Well, did they pay you? Because we needed every little penny we could just to survive. And I went kind of, uh, I lied and said, No. She said, Those people, they just take advantage of you. They just don't appreciate you. Oh, they just, they just, people just take such advantage. You're just so, you know, they're just awful. I said, Yeah, they're awful. <laughs> they are. And so every time I do a wedding, she would ask me and say, No, nope, no, two years. Two years of people being awful and me saving. And finally, I had enough money. And there was somebody in the church who had an inn, who had an inn over here in Dallas with the, uh, with the market. And they got me in. I got to go all these wholesale diamond places. And I got to pick this gigantic, well, it was about this size or something. I'm not sure how big it was. But I got to get this diamond. It was big for us. And I paid cash for it. And then I brought it home. And I went. In the middle of the night one night, I stole her ring, and she didn't know it. And she woke up the next morning. She couldn't find her ring anywhere. Who took my ring? Well, I don't know how it happened. I guess you lost it. So she carried this burden for two weeks that she had lost the ring. It was down at Bobby Woolers. He was trying to set it and put, put the ring in place. And after I got the ring back... I got a vase of flowers, and I got a little ribbon around the vase, and I tied the little ring to the vase, and I took it to Steak and Ale. Anybody remember Steak and Ale when there used to be a Steak and Ale? Yeah, that was our special anniversary place. They're gone now, but, but that's where we went on the Weatherford Circle. That's where we went, and I had them bring it out, and when she saw the ring dangling on there, she went, <laughs> I felt so full. This next point you need to get. The joy of the giver is always greater than the joy of the receiver. Always. Do you think that you're more joyful when you receive Jesus or God's more joyful that you receive Jesus? I promise you, God takes more joy in giving to you than you'd ever do in receiving his forgiveness and receiving his, because the joy of the giver is always greater than the joy of the receiver. And some of you who give generously, you know that. I have people in this church who tithe so generous, and they tell me, you know what, Pastor? I knew when I started tithing that my tithe money would get bigger. I didn't know my heart would get bigger too. And it just seems like I love God. The more I give, just the more I love God. So I want to give you three little tips. This is not in your notes. This is really quick to help some of you who just need some help. And then we're going to kind of sing, kind of pray, get, get, you, get you out of here. So here's a little basic number, little tip right here. Your gifts don't have to cost anything. Gifts can be totally and completely free. They can cost you nothing. There's a guy in this church who every once in a while say, Rick, why don't you go read this book? Why don't you go read this article that's a gift? 
costs nothing, but it blesses me. There's a man in this church who has a weird sense of humor. He'll send me a little cartoon if he thinks it's appropriate for me. And he sent me this cartoon about people, about men who age, about a product that I might need. I'm not telling you what it was, but he was just trying to be lighthearted. When I read it, it made me laugh. And him making me laugh was a gift. It was a simple gift. So gifts don't have to cost anything. Here's another one. Become a giving detective. Pay attention to the clues. Your, your loved one, your friends, your family, they'll give you little clues on what they like and what they care about. There's a woman in this church when she and her friends go out. If they say, man, I kind of like that belt or I like that chocolate or I like that coffee, she, out of the blue, will go and buy it. And it just shows up at their house at most very unexpected times. Now, listen, church, you do not misuse this gift. You don't tell people, well, I like this and I like that, so they'll give stuff to you, right? You don't do that. That's manipulation. And like just right now, just because I tell you that I love Bluebell ice cream, right? And I love coffee. And I love large tracts of land by Chisholm Park Trailway. That doesn't mean that I expect you to do that. But if you want to, it'd be okay. I'm just saying. But no, you you don't do that. And here's the last thing I, I would say is that do a weekly long giving campaign, a week long giving campaign. Maybe God is going to ask you to resurrect the relationship because theirs is the gift of giving, gift of gifts, that you give them a gift, one gift every day. And this is a story from the book. It's the most powerful story in the book where Chapman tells about Doug and Kate who are married and their marriage is about dead. It's about dead. And she hated him because he was totally unaware of her needs. And then they discovered the love languages and he found out that her primary love language was the gift of gifts, the receiving of gifts. So on Monday, he brought her home a rose and she cried. On Tuesday, he called her and said, can I bring home pizza? He had never done that before. And she hugged him. On Wednesday, he brought home a box of Cracker Jacks for all the kids because it was a little gift, a little toy. Remember that, the old little toy in the Cracker Jacks? And he brought her home a potted plant. And he said, the rose will die. I thought you needed something that would live and grow and stay around here for a while like me. On Thursday, he brought her home a card. Just a card. He did not know how to say I love you. The card said it for him. He asked her out for a date on Saturday night in the card. On Friday night, he took her to her favorite cookie store and bought her a single cookie, her favorite. And this is what she tells Dr. Chapman. Dr. Chapman, this man has never given me flowers since we were married. He's never given me a card. He said, cards are a waste of money. You look at them and you throw them away. And he looked at her and said, I am so sorry. I have been so dense. I have been so stupid. Totally unaware and insensitive to your needs. And I promise I will give you a gift every day for the rest of your life. And she said, please don't. We can't afford it. <laughs> he said, well, I'll tell you what, with God's help, I'll give you one gift a week. That'll be 52 gifts a year. And maybe one day I'll be able to make up for how I've ignored you all these years. A marriage was saved. A family stayed together because one man figured something out. 
For God so loved that he gave. God, we thank you for how generous you have been to us. From the moment we were conceived in our womb to this very moment, you have given and given and given the breath, our heartbeat. We thank you for our bodies. We thank you for our brains. We thank you we can see. We thank you we can hear. We thank you for our minds that we can think and process. We thank you for the roof over our heads. We thank you for the food from this earth. We thank you for the clothes that we get to wear. We thank you for shelter. We thank you for your provision. We thank you for Texas sunrises and Texas sunsets. We thank you for life. But most of all, God, we give you thanks for the gift of your son, Jesus. And if you were someone here on this day who would just like to receive the gift of Jesus again, I would just invite you to take your hands, sit them in your lap, and open them up like a little cup. Just kind of make a little bowl with your hands and just say, God, I want to receive the greatest gift, the gift of your love, agape, real gritty sort of love, the gift of forgiveness, the gift of your power, the gift of your presence. I just, I receive it, God. I receive it. And if you're doing that this morning, online or in the house, just just stop one of us, let us know. We'd love to connect and visit with you, help you take your next step. Consider the baptism or the renewing of baptism, whatever it may be. Just, but don't let the moment pass. Thank you, God. Help us, help us, help us to love like Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you would like more information on Pathway or to get connected to a ministry, visit our website at pathway.church. We look forward to growing with you as we worship together. God loves you. God is with you.